Welcome to the Movement Church New York City podcast. To learn more about our church, including our gathering times and more, be sure to check out our website, movementnyc.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Mike Doyle. Well, the title of this morning's message is The Power of Gratitude. And I want to pray and then just kind of take a few minutes and walk through this. Father God, we thank you for church. We thank you for the house of God, Lord. I thank you for, even as Lyric was praying, Lord, that in a world that's so dark, that's so broken, that we can come into your house, Lord, and we can find refuge, we can find hope, we can find joy, we can find healing, we can find friendship and community and family. Thank you that your house is a healing house, Lord Jesus, that we do not have to leave this way the same way we were when we walked in, And so, Lord, I pray you would heal every heart this morning. You would refresh every heart this morning. I pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit for everybody in this room watching online. And I just pray you bless them, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that above all the craziness, you are still sitting on the throne, Jesus. You are reigning in glory, and you're completely in control, and we can rest in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, I love Thanksgiving. Do we have any, how many people love Thanksgiving in this room this morning? I like it because it's kind of like a low-pressure holiday. Can you name on that? Um, I'm stumbling over my words today. I don't know why. Um, I like it because it's a holiday in the fall when the days are getting shorter and it's getting colder, um, where you just kind of take a day off, you eat really good food, you relax, you just watch a bunch of football if you want to, and you don't have to buy anyone gifts. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> Nothing goes on your credit card. <laughs> Uh, you just, you're, you know, you, it, goes on your, it goes on your stomach, but it doesn't go on your credit card, amen? And it just doesn't feel as high pressure or as intense or materialistic as Christmas. So I, I'm almost getting to a point where I like Thanksgiving better than Christmas. I mean, I like them both, but... Now, the first Thanksgiving in the United States was actually celebrated in 1621. And it was, celebra- it was celebrated... Pray for me with my words today. It was celebrated... <laughs> by the pilgrims in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And the pilgrims were actually these very devout Puritan Christians who were fleeing religious persecution in the United States, and they risked everything, literally, to sail across the Atlantic to come to the United States so they could find religious freedom, so that they could worship Jesus however they feel led. You know, we come into a space like this, and we can worship Jesus any way that we feel led. You can spread out around the room. If you got flags, just be in the dark back there, amen. We got rugs. We got communion. You can do cartwheel. You can do anything you want to do. We, we literally have no religious restrictions, and we take that for granted, but it wasn't something that was totally available for people in the 17th century, and so this little group of people risked everything to come to the United States for religious freedom. What's also interesting about the pilgrims is that the first generation of pilgrims actually got along really well, really well with the Indians. They loved the Indians. They had a good relationship with them. The Indians that they encountered was the Wampanoag Indians, and if it wasn't for the Wampanoag Indians, they all would have died. They did not know how to make it in the New World, and I'm going to talk about it in just a moment. They weren't used to the climate of the New World, and these very kind, very generous Indians taught them how to plant corn. Uh, they, they taught them how to catch lobster and oysters and all this stuff. All this food that's like really expensive now was just like free everywhere. Can I get an amen on that? And they taught them how to do it. But these Puritan Christians, they left everything in Europe, they left their friends, their families, their lives, and they sailed across the Atlantic 
But when they left England in the Mayflower, they actually left later than they intended, and it ended up taking them 65 days to cross the Atlantic. It took them over two months in a boat that was 24 feet wide and 100 feet long. The Mayflower is actually smaller than this room. And it wasn't designed for transatlantic voyages. They faced headwinds almost the entire way. And because they left late and took so long, they arrived off the coast of Massachusetts in early November. They were actually heading for Virginia. I don't think a lot of people realize that. They weren't heading for New England. They were heading for Virginia, which has a milder climate. And then when they first got to Massachusetts, they thought, well, if we can just make it to the Hudson River, but they were too terrified to try to sail around the shoals around the uh, southern tip of Cape Cod. So they ended up having to uh, ride out the winter in Provincetown Harbor in Cape Cod. And they weren't prepared for a New England winter. England has a much milder winter than New England does. And half of the pilgrims died that first winter. Governor William Bradford, who was only 30 years old, and he was the leader of this group, his wife also died that first winter. At some point in that December, she slipped off the Mayflower and, and she drowned in the icy December waters of Provincetown Harbor. Some modern scholars think that she actually, she probably took her life. And if you're very really interested, if you want to read more about it, there's a really outstanding book called Mayflower, and it's the whole story of what these people endured and how they basically landed in, in, in a foreign world and they, and they created this civilization out of nothing, and it's really one of the great human stories. So what ended up happening was after they survived that first winter, thanks to the help of the Wampanoag Indians, um, and the Wampanoag Indians helped it, taught them how to plant corn. So after they survived that first winter, they had their first harvest, Governor Bradford, to thank the Lord for his provision in spite of everything, he declared the first Thanksgiving in 1621. And that's the root of it. That's where it begins. Then George Washington proclaimed the first nationwide Thanksgiving celebration on November 26, 1789, as a day of public thanksgiving and prayer at the end of the Revolutionary War and the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. They were so thankful that they'd achieved victory that they declared, he declared a national day of thanksgiving. Then in 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, when hundreds of thousands of people were dying and America was being torn to pieces, out of, out of an act of, of, of attempting unity and of, and of attempting to create solidarity, Abraham Lincoln declared an annual observance of Thanksgiving. And then during World War II, by joint act of Congress in 1941, the fourth Thursday of December officially became a national holiday and that became Thanksgiving Day. So that's the whole history of Thanksgiving. But Thanksgiving in the United States, going all the way back to the pilgrims in 1621, is a day when as a nation we pause, no matter how difficult things have been, no matter if, if half your crew has died and, or you're, you're in the middle of the World War II, whatever it is, it's a day when we pause as a country to show gratitude to God for all of his blessings to us. You know, we all have what's called a negativity bias. Can I get an amen on that? And it's so easy for us, it's kind of like our natural instinct to focus on all the negative things in our lives. That's actually like, I'm, I'm kind of a news junkie. Do we have any news junkies in the room? Okay, nobody. I'm just up here by myself. So I'm the only guy news junkie in this room. And I constantly read the news, and there's a principle in media. It's called, if it bleeds, it leads. And that's why all the news is so bad, because that's all anybody wants to read about is bad stuff. 
if, if you know, there, now there's like a, there's an Instagram, it's called the Good News Movement, and it's publishing stories, and I just scroll right through it. I'm like, not interested. Give me the bad stuff. <laughs> you know, somebody gasps, whoa. No, I'm just telling you, that's like, but we all have a negativity bias. And we tend to not focus on the positive things in our lives. We have a tendency to focus on the negative things in our lives. 90% of our life could just be going perfectly, but what do we do? We focus on the 10% that's wrong. Or we focus on the, the negative things in the people around us or in the world around us, or we focus on the things that we don't have. And social media just amplifies this, especially around the holidays. But yet one of the main keys to happiness in life and good mental health is gratitude. Cicero, the, Ram- the Roman philosopher, wrote that, I almost said ramen, the ramen philosopher. <laughs> he wasn't Chinese, he was Roman. So the, the Roman philosopher, Cicero, he wrote, gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. In a really excellent article in The Atlantic, Arthur C. Brooks writes, he says, Thankfulness has been strongly and consistently shown to raise human beings' happiness. It stimulates the ventral medial prefrontal cortex, part of the brain's reward circuit. Gratitude can make us more resilient and enhance relationships by strengthening romantic ties, bolstering friendships, and creating family bonds that endure during times of crisis. It may improve many health indicators, such as blood pressure and diet. He also writes, Arthur C. Brooks, Modern research shows that gratitude can make us more generous with others, more patient, and less materialistic. And so there's three points that I want to make about gratitude. Gratitude is a gift. Gratitude is good for us. And gratitude generates a culture of grace. So let's take a moment and walk through these three. The first one is that gratitude is a gift. You know, it's fascinating that in the Old Testament, in the Levitical law, there was a special offering called the thanksgiving offering. And it's what's called a free will offering, meaning it's a voluntary offering. You weren't obligated to, to bring this offering. It was just a gift that you offered God when you felt thankful to him. And it was also called a peace offering. And so if you were at peace with Yahweh and you didn't have to, you know, you hadn't done anything wrong and you didn't need to sacrifice any animals to cover your sins, you're just kind of having a good day, you're in Jerusalem, you had some falafel and you're just kind of feeling it, then you would go up to the temple and, you, and there was a whole system of offerings called, called Thanksgiving offerings. And it's just like what you do on a Saturday afternoon. Hey, you want to go to the temple and do a Thanksgiving offering? Let's just go do it, right? I'm grateful to Yahweh. I'm, I'm thankful to Yahweh. Now, if you weren't at peace with Yahweh because you had done something wrong, all right, well, there was a whole system of sacrifices you'd offer to, to make yourself right with Yahweh and, and to provide forgiveness for your sins. But if everything was good (laughs) and you just wanted to thank Yahweh, then there was what was called the Thanksgiving offering. And I think it's so beautiful. And and if you want to read more about that, it's in Leviticus chapter 7. It outlines what what the Thanksgiving offerings were. But I think it's so beautiful is that the law made a provision where if Yahweh had blessed your life in some way and you were just thankful to him and you wanted to show that thankfulness in a tangible way, the law provided a mechanism for you to be able to do that. I just think that's so beautiful. But here's what's interesting, and here's what I want you to listen to, okay? If I bored you with the history of Thanksgiving, lean in right now, okay? I found this so fascinating is that, okay, so in the law, you have the Thanksgiving offering, but then there was this really interesting thing that David and the psalmist discovered. And what they discovered was that just the act itself 
of offering thanksgiving to God in prayer and worship was a sacrifice acceptable to God. That just the act of thanking God was actually a sacrifice to the Lord. And in fact, David says it's the greatest sacrifice of all. That the greatest thing we can give the Lord, more than our money, more than our time, more than you know, personal sacrifices or anything like that, that the greatest gift that we can give to the Lord, and David and the psalmist realizes, was the thankfulness of our hearts, was gratitude. Where we just lift up our hands and we say, you know what, Lord? Thank you. Thank you, God, for blessing my life. That's the greatest gift we can give to the Lord. And David says this in Psalm 69, verses 30 through 31. Look at what he says. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. In the Levitical sacrificial system, the most expensive offering that you could offer was a bull or was an ox. And it would be the equivalent, I've given this illustration before, that to sacrifice a bull or an ox to the Lord would be like sacrificing a Mercedes. It'd be like if you just took a Mercedes and like you just lit it on fire and go, here you go, Lord. <laughs> that's, what it, that's how expensive a bull or an ox were. It was something that only wealthy people gave. It wasn't something the average person gave. Jesus' parents were so poor that they off, when they went to the temple in, in the early parts of the Gospels, the sacrifice they offered was, um, was two sparrows. And that's what poor people would give. And then you, had, you could go all the way up to a bull or an oxen, and that's what, a, that's what a wealthy person would give. And David says, Lord, more valuable to you than a bull or an ox is that I would glorify your name in a song. And so one of the greatest gifts we can give to God, listen to this, is the gift of gratitude. Will we just say, you know what? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And actually, I'm going to have you do a couple things at the end of the message, so you, you do have a little homework at the end, but I'm going to give you a little bit of extra after-church homework. And your after-church homework is, if you can do it, I actually, I want you to go to Central Park today, and I want you to walk through Central Park, and I want you just to reflect on the Lord, and I want you to just say, thank you, God. I want you to walk through the beauty of creation, or I want you just to walk through the city, and I want you to lift up your eyes in the midst of everything, and I want you to just say, thank you, God. And if you think about it, what material thing can we really give God? Everything is his already. Everything belongs to him. But the one thing that we can give God that he doesn't have unless we give it to him is our hearts. Think about it. You know, it's like giving. Okay, we're supposed to give 10% of, of, our, of our income to the Lord, and you're like, wow, that's a lot. You know, it's like, I'm, Lord, I'm giving this to you. Actually, we're just giving back to the Lord a little bit of what he's already given us. Amen? Come on, everything belongs to him. And I don't even really think it's about the 10%. I think it's just the principle. It's not like God's like, oh, thank you so much. I really needed that this month. Thank you so much for, <laughs> I don't know how I was going to make rent this month. Thank you so much for tithing the movement. I was, things were tight. I've been living off ramen again. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> when you're really, when you're poor, it's like, if you, and I've, I've, been, I've been poor for much of my life. It's like, if the big thing is when you add an egg to ramen. That's like a big, whoa, you know. <laughs> then you're really living. You know, it's like, but it's not like God doesn't need our money. Like, he doesn't need it. It's, I don't think it's, it's not about him. He doesn't need it. It's about us. And it's the principle of realizing that everything belongs to him. Everything is his. All right? So if every, every material thing belongs to him, then what can we give him that actually doesn't already belong to him to begin with? The one thing we can give him that he doesn't have unless we give it to him is our heart, is our love, is our gratitude. And that's actually a 
according to David and the psalmist, the greatest gift that you can give to God. That's the greatest sacrifice. And, and that's more supreme than everything in the Levitical sacrificial system is the love and worship and gratitude of your heart. And just think of all the things the Lord has done for us and continues to do for us. He created us. He gave us life. He created this beautiful planet for us to live in. He created dogs. Come on, can I get an amen on that? It's dogs. So there's a coffee shop a couple blocks from here called Devotion, and, and I was going there this morning, and I was getting some coffee. I got Izzy an oat milk latte, an oat milk latte in Jesus' name, amen. So um, she's good on the dairy front. I'm old school. I still like whole, whole milk. You know, I'm not really helping the planet there, but that's what it is. And so, um, so I go <laughs> to get these coffees at Devotion, and every time I go in there, there's always this dog that hangs out by the register for free pets. And he looks like a beautiful little Muppet. And I just think, how could you not pet this dog? Like, I don't know how you could not pet this dog. I'm just petting the dog. <laughs> he's so friendly. And he's just, everybody that walks in, you're like the greatest person that ever lived. He's like, I love you so much. I'm like, I love you too. I don't even know you. I just, I feel a deep bond to you right now, you know? But that's what he does. He hangs out by this couch right by the register, and he just gets free pets from everybody that walks by. You know what? That's a gift from the Lord. Why should dogs see that? Why should dogs look at us that way? Like, we are not worthy to be loved in that way, amen? There's a, I, there's a famous bumper sticker that I love. It says, help me be the person my dog thinks that I am. <laughs> or you'll see like a, and I don't mean this in a mean way. I, I, I legitimately think this. Or you'll see like a homeless person and a dog. That dog couldn't be happier in the world. <laughs> you know, it, they're just so loving and they're so loyal. You'll read stories about you know, somebody dies, and then two months later, the dog is still there, you know, guarding, you know, their owner. Why? Why should we be blessed with animals that are that precious? It's just because God loves us. He makes the sun shine. He makes the earth spin. You know, the way the earth works, the earth is actually like a rotisserie chicken. Do you know that? So the sun stays in, sun stays in place, and the earth, you know, it orbits around the sun, and then as it rotates, it's just like a rotisserie chicken just being warmed at all times by the sun. Amen. Why is it like that? That's the Lord. If it wasn't for the Lord, we'd just all freeze because we wouldn't be that rotisserie, you know, planet chicken that's floating through space. He makes our heartbeat. He makes our nervous system work. You know, you don't make your heartbeat. Have you ever thought about that? If you ever think about it, you get all weirded out. <laughs> you don't make yourself breathe. And if you try to make yourself breathe, you just screw everything up. Amen? Like, don't think about breathing. He makes our heartbeat. He makes our nervous system work. He makes our lungs breathe. He gave us the word of God. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us friends and family in the church. He sent Jesus to live the life we could never live and to die the death we couldn't die and to rise from the grave for us so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. Amen? And if you have Jesus in your life, you have nothing to be afraid of. You have no reason to be spare. You have no reason to despair. I am so tripping on my words today. You have no reason to despair. And there is infinite hope in Jesus Christ. If Jesus is in your life, I promise you, in the end, everything will be okay. And you know what? We could just go on and on and on and on and on. And so the very least that we can do is just pause once in a while and just lift up our hands and lift up our eyes and just say, thank you, God. Thank you. And you know what will happen to, you know what happened to the Lord? His, his heart will explode. <laughs> Secondly, gratitude is good for us. 
Over the, over the last few years, there's been a lot of research that's come out on the benefits of gratitude. In an article I was reading last year, Harvard Medical School highlighted some of the benefits that come from cultivating gratitude. In this article I was reading, they write, in positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. In the same article, it continues to write, it says, two psychologists, Dr. Robert A. Emmons of the University of California, Davis, and Dr. Michael E. McCullough of the University of Miami, have done much of the research on gratitude. In one study, they asked all participants to write a few sentences each week, focusing on particular topics. One group wrote about those things they were grateful for that had occurred during the week. A second group, about, a second group wrote about daily irritations or things that displeased them. <laughs> And the third wrote about events that had affected them with no emphasis on them being positive or negative. After 10 weeks, those who wrote about gratitude were more optimistic, felt better about their lives, and surprisingly, they also exercised more, had fewer visits to physicians than those who focused on the sources of aggravation. It also writes in this article, it says, another leading researcher in this field, Dr. Martin E.P. Selgeman, a psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania tested the impact of various positive psychology interventions on 411 people, each compared with the control assignment of writing about early memories. When their week's assignment was to write and personally deliver a letter of gratitude to someone who had never been properly thanked for his or her kindness, participants immediately exhibited a huge increase in happiness scores. The impact was greater than that from any other intervention with benefits lasting for a month. So if you're ever just in a really dark place and you're just feeling especially blue, especially depressed, you know what's the quickest way to get yourself out of that? Write someone a thank you letter. Just jump on your email and just write somebody, just take a minute and write somebody a paragraph just thanking them. And the moment you do that, you'll begin to feel better. Isn't that amazing? Dr. Robert Emmons, I mentioned her just a moment ago, he's actually the top academic expert in this field and he listed out a whole bunch of the benefits that come from gratitude. I want you to look at these. These are the physical benefits of gratitude. Stronger immune systems, less bothered by aches and pains. Can I get an amen on that? Lower blood pressure. Solo and I, we're, we're middle-aged men. <laughs> they exercise more and take better care of their health. They sleep longer and feel more refreshed upon waking. Come on, right there. Psychological benefits to gratitude. Higher level of positive emotions, more alert, alive, and awake, more joy and pleasure, more optimism and happiness. And there's social benefits, more helpful, generous, and compassionate, more forgiving, more outgoing, and you feel less lonely and isolated. And I'm going to give you a little trick. You know what? Je grateful people are fun to be around. Can I get an amen? Thank you, Solomon Smart. <laughs> if you're Mr. and Mrs. Negative... I can tell you why no one's inviting you out on a Friday night. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> Just be a grateful person, and you'll have more than enough opportunities to get brunch with people after church. Amen? So, and the Bible, in its divine wisdom, has understood this for thousands of years. And that's why the Bible, over and over and over again, commands us to give thanks to the Lord. Yes, because God deserves it, but also because it's good for us. It's medicine. The Bible is medicine. Jesus is medicine. The Bible's trying to help us. 
And this discipline of gratitude, this discipline of giving thanks to the Lord is so deeply beneficial for us that over and over and over again, the Bible commands us to take our eyes off the Lord, put them on Jesus, and give thanks to him, and you will almost immediately feel psychologically better. Look at these verses. And I want you to read, when it says give thanks, I want you to read that part, okay? Psalm 30, verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 33, verse 2, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving, and enter his courts with praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. We got two more. Psalm 105, verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. And Psalm 107, verse 1, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he's good for his steadfast love endures forever. And again, this giving thanks not only brings glory to God, but it brings us joy. It makes us feel good. Come on, can I get an amen on that? That's partly why you feel good after you've gone to church. Why? Because you've gave thanks to the Lord. I, and I, like I say this all the time, I watch it happen week after week after week. Everybody comes in like this. And then everybody walks out going, I love God. <laughs> It's like a Holy Spirit, like, like car wash machine, you know what I mean? It's like, and I watch it week after week. Everyone's, I'm just so sad. I'm just so down. Everything's so hard. And then, and then everyone goes out skipping. They want to get brunch. Let's go do something. <laughs> like, like, what's happened? You've given thanks to the Lord, and you feel better. Arthur C. Brooks, in another article in The Atlantic, writes, one of the most undisputed findings in the social science literature of happiness is that gratitude reliably increases happiness. You know, if I ever have a hard time praying, you know what I do? I just start thanking God for things. And I, and I thank him just for the little things. Like I thank him like for my apartment. I thank him for like my comforter that kept me warm the night before. I was thinking about this morning when I was taking a shower. How amazing is it? If you got hot water, amen. How amazing is it? that you can just turn on a faucet and clean hot water comes out of the wall. The Apostle Paul did not have a hot water shower, and he didn't have coffee. Can you imagine that? Paul did not have coffee. How did that man do the things that he did? How did he evangelize almost the entire known world without the benefit of coffee? <laughs> I don't know how he did that. I need Jesus and coffee. Can I get an amen from anybody out there? Probably in equal doses, okay? I thank the Lord for the Bible. I thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit. And here's what happens. The moment I start going down that path, I kind of can't stop. I start thanking him, thanking him, thanking him, thanking him, thanking him. And the moment I start doing that, all of a sudden, the prayers just start to flow. And then it's like an hour, this, this literally happens. And then it'll be like an hour and a half. I'm like, whoa, I gotta go, I gotta go to work. I gotta do stuff. You know, it's like that opens the floodgates of prayer when I just start thanking the Lord for things. And a key to happiness is to take our eyes off of ourselves, take our eyes off the people around us, get off social media, and put your eyes on Jesus, and worship him, and be grateful to him, and to thank him. And I want to tell you a little trick about social media. You don't have to look at it, amen? <laughs> that person that drives you nuts, block him, amen? Or mute him for 30 days. You don't got to look at that. If that's going to drive you crazy, then don't look at it. They want to make you jealous, okay? So don't let them win. Don't look at their Instagram, amen? Also, gratitude, it's a choice of the will. 
We do it regardless of how we feel. Look again at what David writes in Psalm 69, verse 30. He says, I will praise God's name. He says, I will praise God. He doesn't say, if I'm happy, I might praise God. If I had a really good week, you know, then maybe I'll lift one hand. That's not what he says. He says, I will praise God. And when you read through the Psalms, notice when David says that, because you, know, you know what he's doing? He's, he's preaching to himself. He's shepherding himself. He's pastoring himself. I love the verse where, where David, he's talking to himself. He says, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Put your hope in God. And what is David doing? He's preaching to himself. I do that to myself all the time. I'm like, all right, Doyle, knock it off, you know? Can't get an amen from anybody out there. It's like, come on, Doyle, knock it off. You know what I mean? Put some worship music on. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. But I, but I want to feel sorry for myself. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> and you preach to yourself. Regardless of how you feel. And I, want to, and I want you to hear this. Please hear this. We cannot allow our lives to be determined by our feelings. We cannot allow our lives to be determined by our feelings. Yes, feelings are important. Yes, they matter. Yes, they're indicators of other issues. But we can't go through life with our feelings first. We go through life with our faith first, with our convictions first, with God's truth first, and that, and through that, that's the interpretive grid through which we make sense of the world. It's conviction first, feeling second. So I say, so this is what I just say, Lord, I, I will worship the Lord. What? And, and like, this is what's going on inside of me. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, you're going to worship the Lord, Mike. I don't care how you feel. Put those hands up, sing that song, do, do 10,000 reasons one more time, Amen. And as I do that, you know what ends up happening? Slowly my feelings are going, well, actually, I kind of like God. Well, I love the Lord. I really love the Lord. <laughs> and now my whole internal world is totally different because I've made myself worship Jesus. I've made myself take its eyes off itself. And as I worship the Lord, my feelings catch up with my convictions, and I start feeling better immediately. In philosophy, there's what's called the paradox of hedonism. And the paradox of hedonism is that you can't find happiness by seeking it. If you seek happiness, you'll actually never find it. You know, you're like, you're like trying to find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Heads up, there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like, you're never going to find it. Happiness is a side effect of other things. And one of the ways we find happiness as a side effect is as we thank the Lord. Again, as we take our eyes off of ourselves, as we put them on the Lord, as we begin to worship and thank him, Almost automatically, we feel better. I'd say automatically, but you got you know, you to nuance everything. And, I, and I, this is what I believe. I think, it's, I, think it's impo- I think it's almost impossible. I think it's impossible. But I think it's almost impossible to worship God and be depressed at the same time. I just don't think you can. I don't think you can genuinely worship the Lord and be sad or unhappy at the same time. Because as you worship the Lord, you feel better. And lastly, and this is my final point, and Stuart, wherever you are out there in the world, you can come up and start playing keys. Gratitude generates a culture of grace. You know, there is so much anger in our whole world today. You know, I'm almost twice the age of half you guys in this room. This is, this is the angriest I've ever seen the world in my lifetime. I've never seen the world this angry. I've never seen America this angry. And you feel that. You feel like any wrong interaction is just like everything's going to go sideways really fast, you know? <laughs> 
Uh, but there's so much hatred, there's so much division, there's so much frustration, there's so much outrage. Everyone is so angry. And honestly, it's pulling apart the social fabric of our country. And I think this is what happens when we focus on grievance instead of gratitude. I'm not saying that we ignore the social problems that we need to fix. Yes, I feel deeply concerned about those things. You know, if I wasn't a pastor, probably the two things I would probably commit my life to, one would be solving the fentanyl crisis in America and probably helping to improve the urban education system. I mean, those are, my, I, my heart breaks over that. But if we're going to solve these social problems, then we need to stop focusing on grievance and we need to start focusing on gratitude. We need to stop looking at what we don't have or what this person has that I don't have and getting into this zero-sum game with people and we need to start focusing on how God's blessed our lives. And when we focus on gratitude, it creates a healthy, productive culture of grace, a culture of second chances, of redemption and restoration where we don't cancel one another but we forgive one another where we work together to find solutions. I honestly believe that every problem facing America today, we could actually solve them. I think if Jesus delayed his coming, if he didn't come for like another thousand years, everything in America today, we could actually solve it if we could just come together as a country and work together. Paul says in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And read this last part. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, we're like, well, how could I forgive them? Well, did God forgive you? What's the basis of my forgiveness of other people, no matter what they did to me? It's God's forgiveness of me. That's the metric. And I've been forgiven so much by the Lord. How could I not forgive somebody else? Jesus didn't cancel me. Why would I cancel somebody else? And if anybody had a right to cancel anybody, it would be Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so what do we do? We extend grace to one another. We believe the best of one another. We seek to understand one another. We have conversations. We have dialogues. We, we try to see the world through their perspective. We try to understand our culture from their angle. And that comes through conversation and dialogue and listening to one another and respecting one another and being sensitive to one another. And then what do we do? We're working together to create a better society. I love the prayer of St. Francis, and I actually want us to say this all out loud together. I want us to read it out loud together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith where there's despair, hope, where there's darkness, light, where there's sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I, may, that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it's in giving that we receive, it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. And that's so good. Now, here's what I want us to do. There's, there's two last things I want us to do, and then we're going to be all done. The first thing is, everybody on your seat, there's a, little, there's a little black seat drop with a pen on I want you to pull that out right now, okay? Everybody right now, pull it out. And as the band comes up, what I want, what I want you to do is I want you to take about a minute and a half, 
and I want you to write out a gratitude list. So I want you to write gratitude list. I'm serious. I want everybody to do this. You have to do this or you can't go to heaven. You have to do this. I've already talked to the Lord about it. He's given me the green light on that. So <laughs> I'm totally kidding. You're like, is he for real? No, I'm totally kidding. I want you to write out, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to write out 10 things that you are grateful to the Lord for. And I want you to do that right now. If you've always been an A, if you've always been an A plus student and you're in AP classes, do 20 things, amen? But do that right now. I want you to write out a gratitude list. And psychologists have proven that this is actually an effective tool to help people overcome depression. Write out 10 things right now that you're thankful to the Lord for. And like I said, if you've always been an advanced placement student, you can do 20 things, all right? And you can write it in Latin if you want, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And feel free to cry if you need to, because I'm off. It's a safe space. You, You can cry in here. That's why we have tissue boxes everywhere. (laughs) Take about 30 more seconds. Once you're done, what I want you to do is I want you to put your hand on top of that gratitude list, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to thank the Lord for those things on your gratitude list. And I want you to tell God how thankful you are to Him for those blessings in your life. 